0: I'm Bridget Stomberg. And I'm Lisa Simone,
1: And this is Taxes for the Masses.
0: Today's episode is on consumption taxes, like
1: sales taxes and value-added taxes. In January 2023, House Republicans pushed for a national sales tax, while much of the rest of the developed world levies a value-added tax. In today's episode, we do a deeper dive into what these consumption taxes are how they can be administered and who pays them. Hello Lisa. Hello B. Today I am excited to talk about something other than income taxes. I last time I did this to you, I launched into a whole thing about 902 and oh I'm not gonna do that today. I'm excited about that. As you should be.
0: I'm also excited that we're talking about something other than income taxes because while most of what we talk about and spend our time researching is income taxes, as we mentioned before, taxes are everywhere. They are. We had an episode on property taxes.
1: We did. That was where I tried to get you to be interested in the Brendan, Brenda, Dylan, Kelly romantic triangle and you weren't having it. Tried and failed. Tried and failed. Uh, that was also the episode, if you remember, with uh, one of our listeners, tax court judge Jane Bowman, who was awesome.
0: Loved her. Uh, we also recently talked a little bit about excise taxes when we were talking about cons- casinos and, and other, I don't know what they're called, sports books. There you go. Okay.
1: And don't forget about our two-part arc during the season of giving on estate and
0: gift taxes. I would never. Man, we really get around, don't we?
1: Um, if you're referring to the Urban Dictionary definition of, quote, getting around as partying more than most people thought possible, <laughs> then No. We do not actually get around. Okay. Uh, but it's always fun to get a break from income taxes, and we're going to take that break today.
0: That's right. All right. So, our topic today is consumption taxes, and our goals are first, explain what consumption taxes are. Second, give some examples of different types of consumption taxes used around the world. And third, talk about who really pays consumption taxes. So, be letter rip. Gladly.
1: Uh, so consumption taxes are taxes that are assessed on, I mean, essentially consumption.
0: Okay. But but like, I think consumption, I think I eat something.
1: I agree with you. I was <laughs> just going to say, thankfully. Because I think with my stomach. No one is taxing me every time I eat a chocolate chip cookie. Yes. But I did get taxed when I purchased those chocolate chip cookies. Okay bought them from a bakery, or maybe even had someone come to my house to make those cookies for me. Okay, so services too. Services too. So consumption taxes, strictly speaking, are assessed on purchases of goods or services. All right. In the U.S., the consumption tax, I'd say most people are familiar with, are the sales taxes imposed by state and local governments. Fair. So those tax rates are going to vary by state. Interestingly, they can also be imposed and vary by county and by city. hmm
0: and you got to add them all up. That's right. So in Texas, in Austin, for example, there's a 6.25% Texas statewide tax. Okay. My county that I live in, Travis County, thankfully, has a 0% tax. Very kind. Because they charge the crap out of us in property taxes. Yes. And then the city of Austin has not only a 1% sales tax, but also a 1% transit sales tax.
1: Do you have it? Like for buses? We have but Cap Metro. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. I don't know that that's worth 1% of any sale.
0: Just going to ignore that. Together, they make my local sales tax rate a total of 8.25% and the reason I want to ignore that is I use I've used the bus quite frequently in Austin. It was my primary mode of transportation yes. commuting to work for a while. I did ride it for free. So, I guess I didn't because I'm paying 1%. You are. Sales yeah, tax. There's no such thing as a free bus ride.
1: In contrast, in the uh, great state of Indiana, I don't know what our state nickname is. The Hoosier State, it, I, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> it must be right. All right, in the in the state of Indiana, uh, we'll call it the Hoosier State. The sales tax rate is seven percent. I have zero percent Monroe County tax, and I also don't owe anything to the city of Bloomington. So my total rate is just seven percent. Jelly, and my property taxes are pretty good too.
0: All right, just rub it in. So these funds are collected by local counties, cities, and states. And they're used to fund state and local budget items, things like schools, roads, fire departments, you know, things that we like to have, like roads and bridges and fire departments. Oh, my. Uh, So, okay,
1: got it. We all are familiar with sales taxes. When we buy something, the total amount we pay is the price of the item plus the sales tax. Yes. But in many other countries, much of the rest of the developed world, uh, those consumption taxes are in the form of a value-added tax or a VAT, Okay. These are also sometimes called goods and services taxes or GSTs.
0: All righty.
1: So value-added taxes or goods and service taxes, however you want to call them, work basically the same way as sales taxes.
0: Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. Yes. They work basically the same way. Basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Except they are totally different. It's very helpful. Um, it's just that sales taxes in the U.S. are only theoretically supposed to be assessed when the final buyer purchases something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you're purchasing something that's going to be used as an input for producing something else, often you don't pay sales tax here in the U.S.
1: Okay. Yes, uh, I see what you're saying. And you are reminding me of the good old days when I worked for P.F. Chang's.
0: The good old days, huh? I thought the good old days were us in the Ph.D. program or perhaps us now when we actually make money from all the work we did in the PhD program. I guess I've had many good days. Just rubbing it all, okay, your life is great, <laughs> B. Your, your life is amazing. I used to work
1: for a restaurant. There was a free soda fountain. We'd get uh, cookies made for us on a regular basis. The Great Wall of Cake. Yes, uh, my lucky cat card, I could go on and on. So when I worked at P.F. Chang's and they were you know, making all these cookies for us to try in the kitchen, Uh, Those were ingredients. The food that we bought were basically inputs to our output, which was the recipes that we served our customers. And so we, the corporation, did not have to pay sales tax on that food that we purchased in most states. It wasn't until the diner came in and ate that finished meal in one of our restaurants that the sales tax was actually collected. Got it. But as you just said, in contrast, a value-added tax is assessed at every stage of production. So every time value is added or a sale is made, A VAT tax is collected and remitted to the government. Sorry, all I could think of is every time a, what is it? Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its its wings. wings. Every time a sale is
0: made, a VAT (laughs) tax is collected. Um, This is starting to seem pretty ripe for an example.
1: Okay, it does. Um, And because I know how much you
0: love cheese. Speaking of consumption, I love consuming cheese, yes. Mm I'm going to make my example about cheese.
1: All right, so let's say that a dairy farmer sells milk to a cheese producer for $1, and I'm going to say it's cow's milk because I don't like goat's milk cheese. Fair. And there's a 10% vat. Okay. The farmer is going to collect $1.10 from the cheese producer, the $1 for the milk, and then the 10 cents of vat. Got it. The cheese producer takes that milk and makes a cheese that they can sell to a grocery store for $5. Okay. Okay. The cheese producer is going to collect $5.50 from the grocer,
0: and that's going to include the $5 sales price $0.50 in VAT. Okay, but the government has already collected the $0.10 in VAT from when the farmer sold the milk to the cheese producer, because we said it's collected at every stage of the way. Yes. All right, so now the cheese producer gets to keep $0.10 of the VAT collected from the grocer. The grocer pays $0.50. The cheese producer remits $0.40. The farmer remitted $0.10. Is it all adding up?
1: Uh, I think it should be, right? So each party has remitted VAT on the value that they added to the good. Hence the name. Value-added tax. So the farmer remitted the amount on the value that the farmer produced, which was that $1 of milk. Mm -hmm. The cheese producer increased the value of that milk from $1 to $5 by turning it into cheese. So they remitted 10% VAT on the $4 value that they created, which was $0.40.
0: Okay, last step. The grocery store sells the cheese to me to safely stow in my belly. Mm -hmm. Let's say the grocery store price is $7. I pay 10% VAT, so a total of $7.70. But the government has already received 10 cents, as we said, from the farmer, and 40 cents from the cheese producer. So the grocery store only has to remit 20 of the 70 cents to the government.
1: Which, again, should align with the value that the grocery store added. They took $5 of cheese and sold it to you for $7, which means they added $2 of value. Yeah. 10% of $2 is 20 cents, and everything checks out.
0: I love it when everything ticks and
1: ties. Me too, because we are nerds. We are. So, as a policymaker, if I have the choice between a sales tax
0: and a VAT, what should I choose? That's a good question. Um, And one that kept coming to mind as I was researching this episode and finding out that over 160 countries currently impose a VAT. Mm -hmm. And they raise on average more than 30% of their total tax revenues. Through the VAT. So it's very, very common, and it raises a hell of a lot of money.
1: Which means that we obviously don't have VAT in the U.S. <laughs> Clearly not. we don't like things that are common and raise a lot of money.
0: Right. One of the most common arguments in favor of a VAT instead of a sales tax is that ideally a VAT is assessed on every sale, as we talked about. Regardless of the good or the service, and regardless of the seller or the producer, you always know that you're going to charge a VAT. Yep. The sales tax, as we mentioned, is only really supposed to be charged to an end consumer and not on intermediate users or sellers of goods. So in our example, I would pay 7.70 for the cheese and all of the $0.70 of sales tax would be borne by me. But that raises the issue of having to classify who is the end consumer versus who isn't. And as soon as there's any wiggle room in that classification, you're going to find tax avoidance. Yeah
1: you're going to find tax avoidance along with some extra layers of complexity. True that. Again, keeping perfectly in line with our general tax system.
0: As <laughs> very complex. Yes.
1: Uh, so back to my days at PF Chang's, we had an awful lot of sales tax audits where we essentially had to prove to the tax authority that our purchases were exempt from sales tax because we were not actually the final user mm. of that good. Mm-hmm. In contrast, the structure of the VAT helps ensure compliance along the value chain. Say more words. That is supposed to be charged on every single transaction. Yes. So that means that buyers who are going to add value and then sell something on to someone else really wanna make sure that they are charged the right amount of VAT Because they then basically get to credit the amount they paid against the amount they charge to their buyer, just like we walked through in our cheese example. So what this does is essentially create a self-enforcing mechanism.
0: Which is super interesting. So you compare that to the sales tax. If I go into a store and pay cash for an item here in the US, it's entirely possible the seller could just decide not to charge me sales tax, not report the sale, and not remit anything to the tax authority. So they get to charge me a lower all-in sales price to get my business, and I get to save the sales tax. And here's the kicker. Neither of us has any incentive to report this because I'm paying less And they get my business.
1: Right. So sales taxes are not self-enforcing like the VAT. Exactly. Now, in theory, individuals are supposed to report any taxable sales on which they did not pay sales tax. Supposed to. Uh, And I'm sure you could imagine how common that type of reporting is. Not very. So, what else should we know about VATs or consumption taxes more generally, other than the fact that VATs are simpler, less ripe for avoidance, easier to enforce, raise more revenue, raise more revenue, more common? Uh
0: huh. Uh-huh. Um, so, it is worth pointing out, I just let's level set here, okay. right? These taxes that we're talking about, whether it's a VAT or a sales tax, yep. these are owed in addition to your own income taxes as the buyer and in addition to the seller's own income tax.
1: Okay, so right, good point, that sales tax doesn't matter. You're paying that on top
0: of your income taxes, on top of property taxes and on top of payroll taxes, lots of taxes.
1: Okay, so let's take another example. And let's say we've got a household that makes average income of $87,000, okay? That household is going to owe personal income tax on that $87,000, which currently would be about $5,500 in income tax. Yes. Assuming those people earned that money from a job, they're also going to owe payroll or self-employment taxes of about $6,800. Yes. So once we take that $87,000 of income and back out income tax and property tax, they're left with only about $75,000
0: of after-tax cash flow. And that's the money they can use to actually go buy things. Many of the things you're going to go buy are subject to sales tax. So let's say you spend $25,000 on taxable items like joggers, and houseplants and workout equipment, you're going to end up paying about 3 to 8% depending on the state and locality in sales taxes, amounting to about $750 to $2,000.
1: And this might be a good time to pause and say this is one of the reasons why people tend to like consumption taxes is it encourages savings because you're not getting taxed on your savings. Right. Okay. So that's on the buyer side. Let's talk about the seller side of things. Okay. So the seller collects sales tax or consumption tax, whatever, from customers and is supposed to remit it to the relevant tax authority. Okay. The seller is the one that is legally on the hook for forking over the tax on every sale, regardless of whether they appropriately charge the tax to the customer.
0: Right. And because the seller collects those funds from you and then turns around and sends them off to the tax authority, they're basically just an intermediary. So let's say, you know, you spend all of that $25,000 on joggers, which by the way, I could totally see you doing. Truth. Truth. The sellers would record 25000 in revenues, subtract off their eligible deductions, like the cost of making your joggers, and then pay corporate income taxes on their resulting taxable income. They do not get a deduction for the sales tax they collected on your joggers because it wasn't their expense. It was yours.
1: So you, as the buyer, are first taxed on your income and then using your after-tax dollars are also taxed on the purchases that you make with that money. Yes. And me, as the seller, I'm also taxed on my income from making those sales. Yes. Taxes upon taxes
0: upon taxes. Taxes are everywhere.
1: All right, so now that we understand what consumption taxes are, and how they can be implemented. Riddle me this, Batman. I'm listening. With these types of taxes, the customer pays the tax, assuming the seller appropriately charged it. Right. But the seller is the one that actually has to send that amount to the tax authority. They're the ones who are legally on the hook for it. Right. So who's really bearing, shall we say, the economic burden of the tax here? The buyer or the seller?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question, and there's a lot of debate over this very issue. So sellers would be able to attract more buyers if they could lower their price relative to other sellers. So for products where there's a lot of comparable options out there, really competitive markets, it's entirely possible that the sellers actually end up bearing the burden of the sales tax as a way of trying to stay competitive.
1: And it seems like this is time for another example. Fair. So let's say an item costs the seller $15, and they can sell it for $20. All right. That means they would have $5 of profit. Agreed. If the sales tax rate or the consumption tax rate is 5%, the buyer would have to pay $21. Okay. $20 sales price, dollar of consumption tax. But let's say the seller is trying to undercut the competition and lure buyers in with an all-in price of $20. Okay. In this case, we kind of have to back into it and say the sales price is just over $19 and the sales or consumption tax collected on that $19 purchase would be just about $1. Now, the seller has decreased its profits by $1, which is the same amount as the taxes owed. So in this instance, the seller is the one that's bearing the economic burden of the tax.
0: Exactly. And the seller would really only do this if they had to compete for your business on price. On the flip side, it would be easy to see that some sellers of, say, more unique products, they can probably pass that tax on to the consumers.
1: So I think what you're saying is the answer to my riddle is it depends.
0: Yes, your favorite answer in tax land. Theoretically, at least, it should depend on how competitive the market for the good or service is. Empirically, many brave economists have tried to examine the incidence of consumption taxes by looking at what happens to prices when a consumption tax rate changes.
1: That makes sense. And it's super clever. It is. Uh, however, I would imagine as bleak B that this is very difficult to
0: accomplish empirically. You would be right. i be and I normally am. Uh-huh. Results vary wildly across studies, I think it's safe to say. Um, The general takeaway, though, is that sellers are usually unable to fully pass through a higher consumption tax rate by charging higher gross prices to customers. And so sellers at least bear some portion of a VAT or sales tax.
1: Which means that buyers could bear some portion of the VAT as well. Uh, The second riddle I have when it comes to consumption
0: taxes is... You are high maintenance today. I'm high maintenance every day.
1: Um, We've seen a huge shift in how consumers are consuming. We can now buy things online without ever setting foot inside of a store. Ah. So if I'm buying something remotely, like joggers, do I pay tax? And if so, which rate do I pay? The one charged where the store is or the one charged where I am? And what if I'm not at home when I make the purchase?
0: These are all good questions and questions that policymakers have wrestled with a lot, uh, especially over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So the general trend has been for consumption taxes to be assessed on a destination basis, which means where the customer is, right? Where the good or service is actually going to end up with the customer. The easiest way to explain why is to point out that businesses generally don't get to choose where their customers are.
1: Right. So if I want to sell a product, I generally want to sell it to anyone who's willing to buy it anywhere, regardless of where they are. And I certainly can't say, uh, customer, please move to a low-tax state so that I can sell you my product more cheaply. Exactly.
0: But as we talked about before, businesses can choose where they are located. So they could conduct their sales through a low-tax country if they had a product or service that they could sell remotely. Uh,
1: So we're going to pause for a second. I think It's clear that if you had a product to sell, it would be cheese. Yes. What would I sell? Joggers. Okay, done. Easy. Uh, And this indeed appears to have been the case. So let's take 2014 as an example. The value of digital services sold by businesses in low VAT country, that is Luxembourg, was almost 14% of GDP. And if you need a reference point, the EU average is only 1.2%.
0: But wait, there's more. Once the EU switched to taxing digital services based on where the customer was located, companies can no longer get reduced VAT rates on sales by selling things from their operations in Luxembourg. And they couldn't choose where their customers were located. Got
1: it. Here in the U.S., a huge issue has been that, okay, sales taxes are also assessed based on the location of the customer. Okay. Okay. But we know that many remote sellers, like Amazon, argued for a really long time that if they didn't have a sufficient economic presence in the state, which we fancy pants call nexus, the state really didn't have any jurisdiction over them and couldn't force them to collect sales taxes on their sales into the state.
0: Nanny, nanny, boo-boo, you're not the boss of me. right? For a long time, purchases through Amazon, Etsy, eBay, you name it, often didn't have sales taxes assessed, which brick-and-mortar retailers argued was an unfair advantage of e-commerce. The
1: problem was this pesky little thing in the U.S. Constitution called the Commerce Clause. Mm. That essentially prohibits Congress from putting an undue burden on interstate commerce. And prior court cases had gone all the way to the Supreme Court, affirming the right of -of out-of-state sellers to not have to collect and remit sales tax.
0: But that all changed.
1: Indeed, it did. The most recent case that was decided was Wayfair versus South Dakota. In that case, the Supreme Court ruled that out-of-state e-commerce site Wayfair did have to collect and remit sales tax because the magnitude of its sales into South
0: Dakota established a sufficient economic connection to that state. And it's interesting because I've heard some people say, some tax nerds say, that this ruling is the biggest change to tax policy around the world in a decade, possibly even a generation. Bigger than the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Nope. Which took the U.S. away from a worldwide system of taxing corporations, and bigger than the global minimum tax that's currently being negotiated.
1: It is big. It's huge. time for the good the bad and the ugly and once again i think i can start us off on the good by saying what we said at the top of the episode it's nice to take a break from income taxes and talk about something else for a change
0: i agree and i'm going to pile on and say that we're not too familiar with value added or goods and services taxes here in the u.s despite their vast popularity globally as we've already mentioned so it was pretty cool to learn a bit more about those um, it was next time we're going to have to talk about, uh, like, if you
1: visit Europe and you pay VAT, don't you get a rebate? That refunds. You, yeah, we need to talk about yeah. our refunds. I like refunds. Um, so unfortunately, something we didn't really go into with both sales and value-added taxes uh, is that they're pretty regressive. Mm. I think we mentioned this on our recent episode on the Fair Tax Act, but it's something that's worth repeating here.
0: Yeah. A very clearly bad thing about these taxes is that, that because they're based on consumption, And those with lower incomes consume a higher proportion of their incomes. These taxes hit lower income households much, much more than they hit higher income households.
1: And I'll just mention, because it's been a big topic of conversation in Indiana. Indiana is one of, I think, several states that's thinking about abolishing the income tax. Oh, wow. And if you do that, you're either going to have to stop spending or replace it with a different kind of tax revenue. Yes. And... If you replace it with sales tax revenue, the point we're trying to make here is that you could really be changing the distributional equity of your entire tax system. Yes. But one way around that regressivity of a consumption tax is to exempt certain items or offer lower rates on certain items that are deemed to be ordinary and necessary. The classic example of this in the US is food, not prepared food, but like straight groceries, um, which is often exempt from sales tax. But these exemptions themselves can actually cause problems.
0: Right. That's because these taxes work best when they apply to everything. As soon as you start carving certain goods or services out, now every seller wants one of the goods or services that gets carved out to be theirs. And you end up with weird situations like in the state of Indiana where marshmallows are taxed because it's considered candy and not food, but marshmallow cream is not taxed because it's food, not candy. I don't
1: know what's weird about that. Okay.
0: Go back to Indiana, Hoosier.
1: Yep. And that's just one of
0: many, many examples. Uh, These
1: taxes get complicated very quickly as soon as you start trying to exempt some items or classifying certain things for a lower rate, When really the better way of trying to resolve the issue that these taxes are regressive is probably to make cash payments to lower income households, much like the rebates that we see being discussed in the Fair Tax Act proposal.
0: Okay, it's a fair point, but then you get to a really, really interesting political battle over whether the government should be giving quote unquote handouts to the poor and whether those quote unquote rebates of the Fair Tax Act are really rebates and not actually something more like a universal basic income which is its own whole political argument.
1: Yeah, and so as usual, we can segue very nicely into the ugly, Ah. which again is the politics that surround all of this. Um, So I agree that rebates seem okay, but a lot of people think that universal basic income, which I'm really struggling to see the difference between, because the Fair Tax Act actually calls these things prebates.
0: Meaning you haven't done anything to earn it. Almost like.
1: Someone's giving you? A universal basic income. Uh Uh-huh. So you say tomato, I say tomato. Neither which of taxes (laughs) is (laughs) taxable.
0: Well done. So the VAT is a pretty interesting political issue here in the U.S. as well. Democrats don't want to cut programs like Social Security or Medicare, so they generally want to raise taxes in order to pay for these programs. VATs are very common popular and effective way of raising a very stable, predictable amount of revenues year after year. In other words, they're kind of the perfect solution to Democrats, except... Except, like we just said, they're
1: regressive. Yeah, Democrats are never going to propose a regressive tax. Right. And Republicans can proffer a national sales tax, which has typically not worked out well in other countries, not to mention would seem to make the federal government bigger at the expense of states' rights. Right. But a VAT is a non-starter because it's viewed as a tax hike.
0: Okay, well, there's a positive note to end on. Oh, really? Yes. Hating VAT. Finally, something Republicans and Democrats can agree on. And, And you can't put a price tag on that.
1: Well, that's all we have time for today. Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses.